Hi there. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bueno. I am a psychotherapist in Chicago and a very passionate spiritual seeker and healing seeker. And I just wanted to take a moment to thank you. I wanted to thank you for being here because without you, this podcast wouldn't continue. Probably. I mean, Maybe I would just do it for myself, but it's pretty cool to to hear that it really resonates with people and that I get feedback that uh, that it's it's really helpful. So that really warms my heart. I just had an interview that's I don't know when it's going to be released, but the person said that I was doing a service. And it's interesting to reflect on that and think about something that is really healing and helpful for me is also potentially helpful and healing for other people. So thank you. This is a relationship, whether we get to meet each other or not, and I just appreciate you and want you to know it. So thank you. And if you'd like to go one step further and continue appreciating, I did want to let you know about my Patreon page. So Patreon is basically a place where you can go and support podcasts like this. You can support other artists. All kinds of folks are on Patreon. And essentially what you do is you would make a monthly pledge, and it can be even as little as $1 a month. And it's just really nice because podcasting is free for you, but it's not cheap for me because I want it to sound really good. So any amount that anybody is willing to share, it is so appreciated. And if you share at the $5 a month level, you have an opportunity to chat with me more often. So a little incentive for you. So let me move on to today's guest. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. She's another therapist in Chicago. And, you know, sometimes people are like, how do you find your guests? And I I just kind of get an intuitive hit when I meet someone or see someone online. I just kind of get a hit that I'm supposed to chat with them. And Lauren is no exception to that rule. So Lauren McBride is the owner and founder of Healed and Whole Counseling Services. She's a licensed clinical professional counselor in Chicago. She specializes in serving the black community to assist those with past trauma to find healing as well as millennials to address relational issues, depression, anxiety, and adulting in general. So please enjoy my conversation with Lauren McBride. Hello, Lauren. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hello, Sarah. Thank you. I'm excited. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast today. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited too. This is great. Yeah, normally I, well, not normally. What am I saying? I don't do anything in a normal way. But, you know, sometimes I have guests on here that I know really well. And sometimes I have guests on here who I know literally almost nothing about. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you post something on the Facebook group in Chicago? And then I was like, yeah, you just need to be on my podcast. I'm yes, pretty sure that, that's what happened, that's, right? That's what happened, yes. <laughs> Good. So you're one of these like new friends who I know nothing about who I can't wait to hear everything about. I'm excited. It's same here. <laughs> Yay! So why don't you tell folks more about who you are and what you do? Okay, no problem. My name is Lauren McBride. I am a licensed clinical professional counselor um, here in Chicago. I have an office in the South Loop where I meet with people for private practice. I have also done presentations for education purposes with NAMI of Metro Suburban. I've done uh, two uh, speaking engagements with them where I 
collaborated with other colleagues because I'm not an expert on everything. <laughs> what? But You're not? I, uh, well, get off. Get <laughs> off the show. That I expected expert no. in all things. <laughs> so I, I've, I've uh, collaborated with some of my close colleagues that I admire personally and professionally. And I've organized these speaking engagements with NAMI of Metro Suburban, which have been great. And I've been very honored to even have been able to do these things to educate the community on mental health and specifically minority mental health. I did a speaking engagement this past February on strong black women or that notion mm-hmm. of the strong black woman. Mm-hmm. And I was also able to present this past July for minority mental health with NAMI. So th- those have been some great opportunities for me. I pretty much see in my private practice realm majority women who are minorities, specifically African-American or Black, different sexual orientations, and a lot of them have presented with depression and anxiety, PTSD, and relational issues, specifically in regards to their mothers. So that, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a a deep, deep thing. She, her. Okay. So yeah. if I say, if I say, oh, girl. Okay. Yes. Yes. That's totally <laughs> so fine. So make sure that's cool. <laughs> yes. Mm. Yes. I, I probably went off on a tangent about oh. everything that I've done, but. <laughs> that's exactly what we're here for. So okay. I'm, I'm always curious the, the journey to becoming a therapist, yes. you know, like when in your life were you like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a therapist. And then I do the little, you know, push up my glasses thing. I'm going back to school. <laughs> I'm really curious what that was like for you and start wherever you want. But I love when people start back in childhood. That's exactly where it started. Bring Um, it. Yes, I was, what, 12, I think, when I was thinking about my journey of educational exploration, essentially. And I was having people ask me, like, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, well, I want to help people. So initially Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, nurse, doctor, something to that derivative. And then... I realized that blood, guts, feces, and urine are not things that I want to engage with on a daily basis. You wait, you don't want to engage with poop? No. Mm -mm. No. Okay. Mm -mm. I don't even want to do it with my poop. (laughs) We get real deep real quick. I love it. I love it. No, but I, I, I realized that, okay, so if I can't do that, then this is not for me. Yep. So... I think I was like 14 or 15 and I was like, okay, so maybe I want to talk to people and help them on their journey because full disclosure, I am a ward of the state essentially. Um, I I grew up in the foster system. I was lucky to be with family. Um, So it wasn't like, you know, the traditional story that you hear like, oh, Mm -hmm. you grew up in the system. So you went from house to house to house. Mm -hmm, Luckily, that was mm -hmm. not my story. And I'm very, very thankful and grateful that it's not. However, there are still things that you deal with when you're not with, you know, your mother or your father Mm -hmm. and you grow up kind of feeling ostracized in a way because it's not my family. Although right. it was family, you know, right, right. so it's like kind of like that thing. And but not your like, parents. Right. It's exactly. It, yeah. it is totally different. Luckily, I was able to finally feel like, OK, I am, you know, this person's child. Mm. But it did not happen until adulthood. So growing up, I just felt like not myself. I, I, it was very hard navigating 
not being with your parents and seeing my cousins, you know, with mm-hmm. their parent. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, it's very difficult. So yeah. having that experience, I was like, I know that there are more people that are trying to navigate themselves, their identity and being okay with not being okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, counseling it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, I can, so I can try to at least, you know, help and understand and give people some sense of normalcy when it comes to this thing. Cause it, it mm-hmm. nowadays it's kind of normal that people do not grow up with their, their parents for some mm-hmm. reason. Cause I feel like the millennial generation, we're very, uh, with the breaking generational curses, I guess you could say. So mm-hmm. we're, we're identifying, exactly. That's the hope. <laughs> yes, this right. is the hope. Um, being very intentional with how we express ourselves in romantic relationships and when we do parent and how we parent and yeah so that's my journey (laughs) that's amazing wow that's really really incredible did you grow up in chicago i did Mm -hmm. okay i grew up in chicago so then we have also like you know ridiculous amounts of segregation that you're dealing with and Mm -hmm. obviously white supremacy and all those fun all those fun things yes (laughs) (laughs) wow wow and where did you go to school i went to the university of illinois in champaign so that's where i got my bachelor's of science in psychology and i Mm. got my master's from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Okay. So yeah. I stayed local. <laughs> yep. Too afraid to go away. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, God, there's a million things I wanna ask you about. Well, one of the things that you said that, that you work with clients on is working on this wound that comes with your mother. And Mm -hmm. so I'm curious what your experience was with that, because like uh, full disclosure on my end, we are recording this on my mother's fifth death anniversary. So it's it's funny, right, right before this, I was my mom recorded a bunch of tapes when we were little Mm -hmm. and they were transferred to CD. And I was just listening to one of the recordings and just like crying and just remembering like that little girl that innocence of that little girl and the hope that my mom had of being able to raise me in a certain way yeah and how it all didn't work but i'm good yeah (laughs) yeah, i'm fine but oh there's so much mother stuff so i'm really curious like your stuff and and what you see with clients and how how you're helping people work with that the first thing i try to do is get to the acceptance part because once you can accept it's pretty much gonna snowball into like the forgiveness and being able to understand them from their lens that they weren't parented the correct ways and seeing the generational and how the family system impacted the way that they were parenting. So it's it's pretty much all about education, psychoeducation. My concern, and this is more of a general concern of things that I see in therapy is like, Striving for acceptance, I fear sometimes invalidating people's experience and the anger that really is warranted is very valid for a lot of people. Oh, when I say like acceptance, it took one of my clients eight months to finally get to that point. It it does not come quickly. It's not going to be easy. I do not want to invalidate anybody's experience because I'm not in their shoes. And I see that a lot of the women that I see, they have these brother wounds and mm-hmm. it's very, very hard to navigate and explore and 
the societal expectation, and mm-hmm. you can correct me if I'm wrong, societal expectation <laughs> is that mothers could pretty much do no wrong. Or they that do everything wrong. Either or. Either or. Either right, or. The extreme. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And sometimes mothers have mental health diagnosis, which makes them mm-hmm. unable to parent correctly. They have trauma that they were unable to address because their mothers were not educated on mm-hmm. how to, you know, process these things with their children. So then this girl, essentially, because if the trauma happened when she was a young child, mm-hmm. she's stunted at that trauma level yeah. or trauma age. And now she cannot parent correctly because she's still like 14 or whenever the trauma occurred. So it's like all of those different things and helping them navigate like this is why your mother was not emotionally available to you or how she showed love was not the way that you wanted her to show love. Like, you know, her yelling and screaming is because she didn't know how to regulate her emotions. It's her drinking to excess or her, you know, using substances or heroin, whatever the case may be, is because she had wounds that she was unable to heal from. And now you are unfortunately the victim of those wounds. Right. Tell me what you think about this. I almost feel like acceptance and forgiveness are not one-time things, but they're processes Mm -hmm. that we continue to go through. And it's like, I always, at least for myself and for my clients, I want to be able to hold both at the same time that there's grief about what I didn't get. There's anger about what I didn't get. And then at the same time, there is also this understanding of, you know, my mother had a trauma history as well. And so many reasons why she wasn't able to show up for me in certain ways and holding those both at the same time. I think, I think non-duality is such a hard thing for the human brain to do. But Mm -hmm. in my estimation, that seems to be what's almost necessary to move through these issues. I agree. A thousand percent with you. It's mm-hmm. it's both and. Right. It's not just one or the other. And mm-hmm. I love the fact that you said that you have to continue to forgive because they're, they're still going to do things that may trigger you. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go back and be like, okay, my feelings are valid. This yeah. pissed me off. I'm going to take a step away and do what I need to do for myself because I can only control myself. I cannot control this person. I've, I've tried to educate. This person has not received it. So I'm going to continue to control myself and regulate myself and do what I need to do to keep myself safe. Mm. Can I ask a personal question? And I'm going to ask it anyway, but you can just say, <laughs> you, just say you don't want to go into it or we can okay. delete this part if you don't want to. But okay. do you have a relationship with your birth mother now? I do. We literally had a breakthrough in September. Wow. Um, so yes. this is very new. Yes. Wow. Extremely new. And it was very difficult because full transparency, when my clients were telling me what they were going through with their moms, Mm -hmm. I would go to my therapist and be like, this is so triggering for me because I'm a human person. I am like, I'm still trying to heal from these wounds. And then they're telling me about their wounds. And it's just like, ah. (laughs) <laughs> yes. So. I was I was literally having a conversation with one of my staff members yesterday who was experiencing a trigger based on what the client was bringing mm-hmm. in the room that was very much like a representation of her childhood. And, and yes. I was like, you know what? That happens to me all the fucking time. And that is exactly what I do is I yeah. go to therapy and I'm like, okay, why is this client in my life yes. right now? Yes. Like, what is, oh it, my goodness, what is it that yeah. I am being called to do? <laughs> this person is a messenger for me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oof. I, lo- yes. I love 
love the class. Yes, yes. Because yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> my therapist, he, he brought it into perspective. He was like, well, look at your your model or your motto for your private practice. He was like, these are the people that you're attracting. So, of course, you're going to continuously get the same things that you're looking for, essentially. You know, right. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> like, I was like, right. the light bulb finally came on. Like, this is true. And truthfully, I think any therapist who isn't honest about the fact that we specialize in areas where we need healing, like if you're not mm. honest about that, mm-hmm. just get the fuck out because I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and and it's true. funny, like we don't we don't necessarily go into it with that intention. No, that was not the right. But you figure it out later. You're like, oh, that's what I did. <laughs> yes. my soul is so cute. Yes, all, <laughs> all of the subconscious things that occur in our lives. <laughs> yeah. So you see a male therapist. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Just for the continuity, because I'm seeing female therapists for the majority of my time in therapy. And I was in Memphis for a short time and I saw a male therapist there and I was like, okay, I feel like this is something that I need because Mm. I grew up surrounded around women. Women's perspectives were all I heard. I had female friends. Like I needed some testosterone in my life essentially (laughs) to to help guide me because I already had so much, you know, estrogen. I was like, no, I need somebody else from a different perspective, uh, a different, you know, gender uh, Mm -hmm. or just, you know, biological sex however we want to term it mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's been very very enlightening yeah mm. how'd you find him because i think therapists for therapists can be really hard to find this is true i yeah. actually found him through another colleague who sees him so. oh, that's the best <laughs> yes and I've, I've, I've referred friends to him i've referred like mm-hmm. other clients to him and so forth and so on like he's great mm, yes. that's the best that's yeah. the best Well, let's just kind of go into the question. Are you a healer? I am. That's actually the name of my practice, Healed and Whole Counseling. Mm. (laughs) So I do consider myself a healer. Yeah. Well, tell me more about that because, you know, I've asked this question nearly 100 times now, and it's it's so interesting to me, people's thought process behind it. You know, why some people say yes, why some people say no, and all of that. So why do you say yes? What's behind it? I say yes because... It's more than just like helping people navigate their thoughts or being able to implement like the self-care practices and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Like when you sit across from me, I always tell people I'm, I'm going to be your coach and your cheerleader at the same time. And when you're out there in the field, <laughs> I want to make sure that I provide you with the tools necessary to bring forth the change that you want to see. Cause mm-hmm. clearly you came here for a purpose. And I want to make sure that we work as a team with this purpose that you have identified and succeed. So I tell them a lot of the things that I've done to help me heal, which is actually funny how I came up with the name for my practice. Because when I was mm-hmm. in Memphis, at the end of every journal entry, I will put healed and whole is the goal. Oh, oh um, I love that. Right. So, Well, that's the name of this episode. <laughs> I'm writing that down right okay. now. <laughs> and, and I really resonated with that because I felt so broken 
And I felt like I had so many wounds and I was, I was like so intentional and so purposeful. And I was like, I got to get this done because I want to live the very best life I can live because you only get one. Mm. So this is why I believe that I'm a healer. I'm Mm. about being non-judgmental, helping you on your journey. However, I will also challenge you. I always tell people that, like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to just sit here and pacify. You are entitled to how you feel at all times because your feelings are valid. I am also going to tell you what behavioral changes that you may want to make Mm -hmm. for different outcomes. Right. Well, what gets in the way of you being your your healed and whole self, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, I love that. Healed and whole is the goal. Yes. Oh, do you think we ever get there? I, I do. I think it's an ongoing process because things are going to happen. Life happens. You feel mentally exhausted, emotionally exhausted. You get burnt out from your job. All of these different things happen. You have a, a parent who's ill. You have a child that's sick. And if you don't make rent in time, th- things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's just how do you bounce back? It's that, that resiliency factor. Mm-hmm. So what tools do you have in your toolbox? And it's not just about doing them when things happen. It's about doing them on a regular basis. So that mm-hmm. can be your go-to instead exactly. of the anger or the fighting or the cursing somebody out. Yeah, I work mostly in addiction. And that's the thing that is most surprising to people. They're like, wait, I'm not just going to like wake up one day and everything's going to be fine. I'm like, no, <laughs> you dummies. You got to practice this shit every day. Every day. <laughs> I so then it can become second dummies. nature. I, I, I don't think that you right. would. <laughs> I'm telling the audience because okay. actually I probably have called a client a dummy at some point only when we have a really good relationship and we know it's a joke. Right. Right. <laughs> so I'm really curious and I don't know why this is coming to me right now. So it could be there's nothing there. It could be there's something really exciting to explore there. But I'm curious your spiritual beliefs and what you were raised with and then how that informs your life now or doesn't. I grew up going to church with my grandmother when I would visit her on the weekends. Uh, It was a Baptist church. So no cursing, of course. You can't say shoot heck or anything oh that sounded God, like a curse grandma, word. come on. <laughs> and like she always wore dresses or skirts. She never wore pants because it's in the Bible that, that you whoa. cannot wear. So like this is like. What? No, yes. that shit is not in the Bible. That's that's what she told me. I, no, I, I, grandma. I <laughs> that shit is not in the Bible. I promise. I, w- I read that too. <laughs> that, I'm just, this, that, that's a, oh, that's what I grew up hearing. And then when I wasn't with my grandmother on, you know, her weeks that she would have me, I pretty much didn't go to church. However, I did get baptized when I was, how old was I, 13? 13 or 14 with my cousin who who I grew up with. We went to the church that was like a block or two away and we both just got baptized. It was like a random Wednesday. It was, not, it was like totally random. And I didn't really understand why I was doing it at that time. And then I got baptized again by my best friend's grandmother in her home. Wow. She, yeah, she had some holy water. And then the, at that point, I felt like the spiritual oh. presence, like where I was like crying. And I was like, wow, wow I really gave my life to, you know, Jesus. And, and how old were you then? I was about 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at that point, it really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. 
I do not go to church currently. I have not stepped into a church in a few years. I I detect a little little something in there. Is there is there any familial pressure to be doing that or some sort of message that like only spiritual people go to church or you have to go to church to be spiritual? A little bit. Le- um, a little, little, bit. little bit. Just maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and and it's it's a hard thing to navigate because I I read the Bible on my own. Do you? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, it's on my phone. So let let me know <laughs> I, when you get have to the, the Bible part. App. <laughs> let me know when you get to the part about girls wearing skirts. Okay, but go on. I, I will let you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you if you ask another like different denominations, mm-hmm. they will tell you like you're not supposed. To, women do yep. not wear pants. Right. And and I don't. You know. Hey. Yeah, I'm sure that there's something in there that alluded to it, but I'm pretty sure God didn't say. Women can't wear pants. There are a lot of things that are alluded to in the Bible. Is this an okay topic to explore? Because it feels like there's a lot of charge here. We can talk about it. It's very, in the African-American community, black community, like church is uh, a high standard. Yeah. And it's like a must do. It's not an option. Right. I mean, that's kind of the stuff I'd really love to hear about. Because I I think that's the richness of the transformations that our generations are Mm -hmm. making right now is right. We are making different decisions. Like we can hold some of the spiritual traditions that we were raised with, with reverence and not engage with them. And then internally, what, you know, what I feel like I'm hearing you go through right now is this recognition of the pressure, you know, the cultural pressure that comes with that, whatever it is that your culture says is what you do Mm -hmm. and you don't do it. Then there's that internal, like I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. And it's a lot to navigate, especially oh, I can imagine. day and age, because you don't want to disappoint parents, grandparents, mm-hmm. and you also want to be true to yourself. Because there are a lot of things that I don't necessarily agree with when it comes to the standard church. I'm using air quotes when I say standard church. Right. So that's why I practice it the way that I do, where I'm more of a spiritual person, where I can read the Bible and understand it and put my perspectives into it and I also understand that I don't have to necessarily go to a building for the spiritual richness that I can get on my own and also like if I have a conversation with friends family colleagues in the bible it says you know when three or more are gathered Mm -hmm. so right yeah I, I just try to do like those types of things where we have these conversations and there's no pressure and we could be open and honest because I feel that there's a lot of, you know, some people may hear this and then they'd be like, oh my goodness, how dare she? And again, that's that shame and that guilt. And it's like, it's so hard to navigate, but I'm true to myself. And I know that I have a relationship with God, which may not be the same as another person who goes to church every week or who attends Bible study or what have you. I respect everybody's religion. I respect everybody's perspective on religion. Right. This is mine. Yeah. Well, and a couple of things I'm thinking about. So historically, we know that at least the Catholic Church started out wanting to separate, put someone in between God and the people, because then that would make room for individualist expression. And Mm -hmm. at the time, people who were in power, white people, (laughs) wanted to control 
everyone. Mm, mm-hmm, and so that's mm-hmm. part of where that comes from. And, and yeah. this idea of, you know, we can cultivate our own connection with God and then it looking a different way can be very threatening because if we have all these individuals running around with their individual ideas, we're not going right. to, you know, yeah. there's, there's fear that we're, we're not going to be falling in line. We're not going to be like doing things right. You know, my mom always kind of had this like, well, you know, if you don't do what the Bible says, then you're on the path to hell. And it's like, right. well, mm-hmm. there's a little space between doing everything like Jesus and going to hell. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's, it's just mm-hmm. that's how people can use religion as a weapon, which is so not what Jesus taught. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. In in this, you know, back in, you know, the 1800s when slavery was prominent, that's mm-hmm. exactly what they used the Bible for. And many African-Americans now, black people, they prefer the Islamic religion mm. over Christianity. Mm. Not, not saying it's like... 50 50 i'm not saying that but Mm -hmm. many of them practice you know going to is it the mosque is it you know i think so yes the mosque and (laughs) listen you know being ignorant on right no islam great sorry so sorry (laughs) to anybody of the islam faith um hopefully i can interview someone and they can exactly a little bit more exactly Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know i don't eat pork because i was actually with someone who practiced the islamic faith so I saw, wow. you know, him pray and do the traditions and mm. go to mosque and so forth and so on. And to this day, I still don't eat pork, but for different reasons. However, like that, that started me on that path. And mm-hmm. I can see, you know, why people of African-American descent do not resonate with Christian faith. And it's because they use it as a weapon during slavery. So right. why, why continue right. this? mind controlled yeah. type of because you know it affected our lineage yes. so that yes. that would make sense why some people may divert to different things and why I, you know that's probably what subconsciously maybe why I practice my faith the way in which I do and I'm a spiritual person and two that's also making me curious about you know this this idea that you know black people are like well you have to go to church you know you have to do it this one way my my guess would be is that during the time of slavery that may have been the only place where they would have felt free to express mm-hmm themselves in the way True. that they actually mm-hmm. authentically were. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if that's kind of part of it, this like this yeah. desire to continue to hold that space. Mm-hmm. It's both and exactly. Right, it's, it's, right. It was used as a tool for mind control essentially. Right, and it right. was a way for community agency within, you know, the slaves or in, in that particular area to mm-hmm. gather and, you know, sing which is like fun to do. And if you're right. you know, a slave, you don't really have that many, that many fun options, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's so convoluted and it's, it's hard to navigate and you have a point. Well, and since we're on the topic of, of race, if it's okay to kind of go there, I'm curious. I've been starting to do, probably for, I guess, like a year and a half now, starting to do my own anti-racism work and really mm-hmm. trying to get in touch with understanding whiteness and understanding white supremacy and all of that. And I have a, a couple amazing people of color in my life who like are, are sharing their experiences with me. And, you know, one of the things that is so difficult is finding enough therapists of color for the Mm -hmm. people of color to go see. And I'm curious if for any people of color out there who might be listening, who are like, I really want a therapist who is of color. How do you suggest 
finding a good fit? Do you have thoughts about how we attract more therapists of color into the field and anything else along those lines? Yeah. When it comes to finding a therapist who is, you know, African-American, Caribbean, Jamaican, because there's a lot of different things that people, you know, specifically want. There is a listing. It's called Therapy for Black Girls. It's women, but that's just a way to get started. They also have a directory therapy for black men. but Mm. The directory is still up and coming. So it's kind of hard for that list. And it's also just when you find someone who is, you know, licensed clinical professional counselor, licensed clinical social worker, PhD, PsyD, whatever they may be, and they're in the field, just take their card. And if you don't, you know, necessarily want to speak with them because you have a relationship with them, then ask them if they know anybody in the field. So it's like the, you know, the referral source essentially, because there is a small pot of African-American clinicians and the Chicagoland area. So that's how I would pretty much mm-hmm. explore it. And also mm-hmm. just asking your friends, like, you know, do you go to therapy? I know that it's, it may be very, very hard to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just mm-hmm. to, that's also a way just to get what you need is to ask questions. Can I mm-hmm. actually ask a question on that too? Yeah. Because, you know, culturally overall, and when I say that, now I'm recognizing that actually might just mean white people. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm I'm seeing a shift in the stigma of therapy. And, yes. and the, especially with millennials are yes. more vocal about it. Mm-hmm. Do you also see that with the black community? Or do you think that there's still that, like, do not tell anybody outside of this house? With the millennials, I would say people 40 and under. They're mm-hmm, more vocal. Mm-hmm. I would say that they're more vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that, you know, all 41 and up people are not right. saying Every single one. Right, exactly. And up, right, right. Every single one. <laughs> <laughs> but but, for, but from my stance, like, even I've seen people, like, come to the same office and see, you know, like, as peers, friends, what have you, and then they would go see their perspective therapist and it's so Mm -hmm. great to see that not only to see like two african-american people going to therapy but two african-american clinicians providing therapy so it's just like that that is so great and so profound and it's very 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 good to see as far as recruiting yes (laughs) um it's hard to recruit i will say that Mm -hmm. because when you first get started in the field many of us do not make a lot of money Right. So it's very hard for you to tell someone to spend, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on their education. Yep. And then they come mm-hmm. out making 30000 a year. They're like, I know. who told me to do right. this? Right. right. <laughs> like, like, yep. so, so that's kind of that's that's hard. They'll be like, and, Lauren. Right. Exactly. You led me astray. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? It's just the first few years. And then mm-hmm. once you're licensed, the sky is the limit, which it is. It's the good, the bad and ugly. Every career has it yeah and that's unfortunately the ugly part is the you know the pay when you first start off the good part mm-hmm. is like seeing the changes in your clients like no matter how yeah. big how small they are it's mm-hmm. so profound and i'd be i'm like super excited like when they're like okay so this happened but i was able to use the progressive muscle relaxation technique Aww. that you taught me and i'm like oh my God, when we were in session, you didn't look like you bought into it, but I'm so happy that you used it and it worked. And that's so great. And 
that's mm. the good to see that change. And then the ugly is the paperwork and insurance, but we all know about that. So. Oh, fuck that shit. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> so, yeah. And I'm just interested in burning it to the ground. I know. It's, it's so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let me share my experience with you as a professor and get your personal thoughts on this. My friends who have blessed me with their POC perspective are so kind and so generous with me to like hold space for me to discern like what is my own white fragility versus like what is an actual issue. So what I noticed last semester, so I teach an online master's program. And I find the students who show up for that are often either career changers or people who have like non-traditional schedules or a lot of times I'm finding students going straight from their bachelor's through to get the master's. Yes. So for me, I'm really talking about the young people because this is this is where it's really coming up for me is that. So I, I had a situation with a student where they weren't meeting the expectations that were were set. Like, you know, showing up on time, contributing to class discussion, right? All these all these little check marks. I'm also very, very aware that academia is a white value system. And a lot of these things are not the values of the black community or Hispanic or or whatever other communities. And and I find myself in this place where as a professor, I feel like my hands are tied because I have to hold these students to a certain standard set by the university. And my fear is, is that if a student isn't able to adhere to some of those things, but then they get to pass through anyway, I don't know if they're equipped to really be able to support people in their journey. But at the same time, I want to create more space for people of color to come into this field. And this is not, this is definitely not even just about people of color, but there was one incident last semester that it was, it happened to be a black student and, and they were struggling with some, some outside issues that really got Mm -hmm. in the way. And I'm like, how the fuck do I do this? You know, how do we change? How do we shift academia and do we like there's just so many pieces of this that I, the, and that's where my my white fragility kicks in because then I just feel guilty. And then, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like doing backflips and all the codependency shows up. So it's like it's just such a complex issue. So I'm, I'd love to hear any thoughts you have. Actually, I have a colleague who is associate dean at the Chicago School online campus. Oh, cool. And this mm-hmm. is something that uh, she has spoken to me about that she's trying Mm. to navigate because this Mm. is a big issue where it's not just like for the first gen African American Mm -hmm. whoever whatever race it may be first gen student on campus or online right that it's not just I'm going to go to school and I'm going to go to work it's like and I also have some siblings that I have to take care of and my Mm -hmm, mom mm -hmm. who's an alcoholic or you know drug addict that I'm you know trying to help her navigate through her sobriety or and Mm -hmm. I have a grandmother who foot just got amputated because she has diabetes and I'm trying to help her like it's yes so many different things that you feel weighed on you and it's hard to navigate that and then say I'm still showing up for school like that's right that's like the last thing it's like you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs like school Mm -hmm. is like 
fuck that. Like, I need to make sure that my family's okay. And that is so hard and difficult for somebody to navigate. And you don't want to feel like you're being selfish and you're like, well, mom or sister or brother, whomever, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I cannot provide you with the support that you need right now because I have a paper that's due. And if it's late, then I get docked 10 points. So, you know, it's it's so, Mm -hmm. so hard, especially for women, because we have so many things that we're supposed to so do many roles yes yes mm-hmm, yes mm-hmm. like sister mother daughter wife cousin auntie it's so many different things and this is something i'm very passionate about because there is mm-hmm. a coin term called the sisterella complex do say more yes um <laughs> it's coined by i hope i don't butcher her name but i believe it's sharice jones and dr shorter gooden and mm-hmm. this is from a book called Shifting the Double Lives Black Women in America. Mm. And the Cicerella Complex is a functional depression experienced by black women that is influenced by the obligation of strength and characterized by selflessness and self-silencing and an effort to defy stereotypes and appear strong. Yeah. It's so embodying of yeah. what black women experience on a regular basis and have experienced for generations. Yes. This is like the strong black woman. Yeah. And then I actually saw a meme and I, I don't like <laughs> to like, you know, believe memes all that much. But I love the, memes. The, but, it. <laughs> but the meme was so powerful. It said, you do not need to set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. Oh, and fuck. I wanted to, I, 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 I was like, yep, mm-hmm. this is true. But yeah. so many times I have set myself on fire. <laughs> right. <laughs> many times. And it's it's very hard to navigate this. So mm-hmm. short answer, I don't have an answer. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> because it's does, so hard. I would love to talk to your friend if you oh, yes, would connect would, us because yes. I I think it's so funny. Whenever I don't have a community of people to talk to about a certain issue, I just try to create one. And so yes. maybe we need to create a little coalition of people in academia who are bumping up against some of these themes and want to just have discussions about what do you do with it, right? Yes. Or even just even just get some fucking empathy, right? Because I just, you know, I can sit over here and feel like an asshole. I can feel like I am then like, you know, tethered to this stupid system that isn't working for everybody and I can feel helpless and hopeless or I can talk to somebody about it and Mm -hmm. and we can support each other through it yes I think that you two would be great together oh my god and maybe I should interview her for the podcast you should (laughs) oh my god I love new friends this is why the podcast has changed my life in such an amazing way (laughs) that's awesome yeah yeah so I realize now I asked you about the healer question, but I didn't ask you about the wounded healer question. So we should probably backtrack and pick that up. So okay. do you consider yourself a wounded healer? Um, yes. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a wounded healer. I've, mm-hmm. I've had to heal my own wounds and I'm still healing many to be able to do what I do every day. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, what did I say? keep uh, lighting myself on fire right. <laughs> so, right. so it's, it's very hard to navigate but mm-hmm. I, I try to make sure that I implement self-care daily weekly monthly just to make sure that I I maintain myself because yeah. I'm I'm the only one responsible for my mental health mm-hmm. so yeah well and because one of the things that I've been really tuning into lately is you know we can say self-care you know, a trillion times. And for Mm -hmm. some people, they're like, oh, okay, go get a massage and take bubble baths and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. 
and some things are self-care, but some things are really community care and yes. and bigger, like really bigger things. Like if we all had access to equal health care, you know, yes. and shit like mm-hmm. that, that is like yeah. way bigger than us. And again, like that's where I personally start feeling very hopeless is you know, around like the healthcare system. Like we we said earlier, mm-hmm. insurance fucking sucks. Yes. Like I, I've got two clients who are going to, to treatment right now mm-hmm. and they needed a benefactor to pay for treatment because insurance doesn't pay for it. <gasps> so a lot fair. of people don't understand how insurance works for like, you know, if you're going to a residential facility, insurance mm-hmm. doesn't want to pay for it. They'll pay very, very, very little, which is why Mm -hmm. a lot of treatment centers are actually out of network. Because to provide quality care, it fucking costs money. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's it, you know? And I've been having talks with people who want to open treatment centers, and I'm like, you need money. And mm-hmm. and that's the problem is that some of these places then get privatized or, you know, they're they're in these like for profit companies and then it becomes all about the money. So it's this like I don't even know. Why did I start talking about that? Oh, structural care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like we just need to change the system. And I don't I'm tired. <laughs> it, it's it's a lot of different. It's a lot, a lot of moving parts. It's so many moving parts. Mm-hmm. It's lack of access. Lack of transportation, mm-hmm. lack of mm-hmm. child care, so many different things yep. that can impact you just doing what you should do. I use air quotes. What you right. should do. <laughs> right. Well, what I mean, what everyone, every human being should be entitled to is right. what that is. Yeah. And, you know, just thinking about how tired I feel with this shit, it's like mm-hmm. this is only a fraction of what yes. people of color have to go through yeah. when, in terms of like pushing through white supremacy every mm-hmm. fucking day. Yeah. And all of that shit that needs to be changed. Yeah, when Obamacare came about, I, I thought that it was going to be something different than what it turned mm-hmm. out to be. Mm-hmm. Because I've heard of like universal health care in Canada and Europe. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, it's going to be so amazing. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to have health care. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, mm, not quite. <laughs> not exactly <laughs> so, how it works. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So again, I was young and... I am glad that a lot more people have access to care mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Medicaid, which is great. People who are, you know, homeless, don't have income or have little income because they get, you know, SSI checks of seven seventy one a month. Like, what is that going to do? And if you were to right. have health insurance, then that would be, what, 200 a month on top mm-hmm, of food mm-hmm. and clothes and bills and rent, you know. So I, I am very happy that Medicaid has expanded and opened up to a lot more people. It's just it's still a lack of resources and providers yeah. to provide services to them because I don't mm-hmm. even accept, you know, HMO. Of Right. So well, it's we, like, ca- we can't. It's like we can only do so much. Right. It's, it's small businesses really. I don't think people really understand how expensive it is to have a small business. Mm-hmm. It you is know? extremely expensive. I look at my, my yeah. um, what is it? QuickBooks self-employed. Every, I'm like, huh, barely mm-hmm. making it, but I'm making it. Like, that's right? really what I do. Right. Like I, like, I would love to be able to accept Medicaid and mm-hmm. provide services. I'm a fucking social worker. Like, that's mm-hmm. why I got into this. But I can't from a business perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'd be running to the ground and then nobody would get the help. Exactly. You know? Yes. So I, I try to mm-hmm. offer as many sliding scale spaces mm-hmm. that I can. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, if it's a PPO or person who is able to pay out of pocket, mm-hmm. the, you know, 
I take them and it's it's so hard because I do want to be able to provide services to mm-hmm. other people and people who cannot afford it. If I can get a grant where I can see people right. there, that would be amazing. Oh I've, I've actually looked at that. I was like, how can I be able to service more people like me? Mm, there's a it's thing so there. Hard. Yeah. There's a thing there. Yeah. I wonder if enough people got together. This mm. is true. This is very mm-hmm. true. Well, this has been a fabulous discussion and <laughs> clearly now we're best friends um, but where so where can people find you how can they get in touch with you how can they work with you yes uh, my website is www.healedandwholecounseling.com they can find me on instagram at healed and whole counseling facebook healed and whole counseling services llc and they could also give me a call if they want to chat. Don't give them your number. <laughs> don't give them on this. Okay, okay, okay. One, one day when you don't want them to call you, they'll hear this podcast and be like, I'm going to give her a call. And you're okay. like, what? Yeah. Website okay. and email are good. Yeah. Website. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll post all this stuff, obviously, too, with the show notes and whatnot so people can get in touch with you. But okay, I'm just, perfect. I'm so glad that we met and I, I appreciate you know, the the really honest and vulnerable conversation. I appreciate it. And and thank you for giving me the space to share. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Sarah. You got it. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Lauren, for that conversation. It was so wonderful and so great to have you on the show. To find out more information about Lauren, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And join her on all the social medias. Be her friend like you're my friend. I'd be amazing. I'm sure she wants to talk to you. Right, Lauren? Right? Right? (laughs) Well, thanks as always to Andrea at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing and producing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much. Until next time. Bye-bye.